I um I had a bad crash in Lake Placid, New York. Um, so we uh, we crashed in corner four, and Placid is it's notorious for being a rough track. Mm. It kind of comes at you really quick, and it's really violent twists and turns. And even on a good run, it feels like you get beaten up. Um, so yeah, I kicked out of the sled um, in corner four, and I slid like on my back, and my leg kind of jammed in the ice and hit the sidewall, and I kind of split my fibula in my right leg. Um, right. So I had a broken leg, which I had surgery to put a metal plate in. That was Team GB bobsledder Adam Hames. I am Curtis Mansfield, and this is episode 11 of the Hips and Dips podcast. Adam Hames is a rare beast as someone who's excelled in dual sports, both summer and winter but it's his journey on the ice to which I am most drawn. As a bobsledder, he competes in what many would consider to be minority sports, but due to the success of films such as Cool Runnings and the recent medal haul by other Olympic sliders, success in this sport can catapult you to being a household name. At the time of recording, we're just over a year out from the opening ceremony for the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, a time in which Adam will be hoping to fulfill his lifelong goal the University of Bath student already hosts an impressive CV. As the youngest ever GB bobsledder to compete at a World Cup, when he competed at the World Cup in Winterberg, Germany, at only the age of 19, and he has multiple podium finishes at the Monobob Youth World Cup. I'm looking forward to seeing what motivates Adam ahead of this key year, the path that has got him to this point, how he trains, how he recovers, and what are his long-term ambitions in the sport. So feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up, it's bobsled time. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Adam Hames. Okay, Adam, welcome to the pod. Hello, how are we doing? All right. Yeah, not bad, not bad on this end. Why don't we start off by you telling everyone who's currently in lockdown in England where you are? Um, So I'm currently in... Uh, well, it's actually a city called Innsbruck in Austria, um, specifically a place called Eagles. Um, so yeah, quite quite a far way. It took us about fourteen hours to drive here. Um, Drove, okay. Yeah, so do it over two days. So yeah, and you a just long way managed at the to just managed to escape before the uh, the new lockdown measures came in. Yeah, so we made it by about two days, um, and nice. then the women's team pretty much made it like within the hour of the lockdown um so they cut it a lot finer than us oh right um okay yeah so we've been starting every episode really by talking about health and how the whole covid ordeal has affected that i was probably considering dropping that question soon because it's getting a little bit repetitive but i know in your case you've got um two very interesting components so you're an athlete who travels a lot for competitions which is one element to mm-hmm. it, and also you're a student. So just sum up how this 2020 and the start of 2021 has affected your health from a mental, physical, and social perspective. Okay, so, well, 2020 for me um, was quite a rough start. So at the start of 2020, um, I was still recovering from a surgery I had in t- the end of 2019 um, from a little crash in Lake Plaster, New York. Uh, with bobsleigh so i started off 
pretty bad, um, pretty rough. You know, I went into the new year in a wheelchair and on crutches. Um, and then I was fully fit by kind of my birthday in March, which I spent my 21st birthday the day lockdown started. So, <laughs> um, you know, normally I'd go out with my mates and have a good time. But yeah, it was quite the opposite. I drove three hours from Bath to my home in Leicester, uh, watched the film and went to bed. So it was a wild 21st. Um, but then lockdown, I kind of, I don't know, I think I was one of few that maybe benefited from it in a sport environment anyway. Um, I was lucky enough to be back in Loughborough with my pilot and training partner, Axel, um, who's out here with me right now. And so I moved in with him and he has a full home gym. Okay. So in terms of physical health, I was, I was pretty sweet. You know, we were training twice a day, five times a week. Um, and yeah, just kind of really hit the ground running. Um, especially coming back from my injury, it was like I needed that time with no distractions, no work to go to. You know, uni got a little bit easier. Um, they're a bit more lenient towards the end of last year um, with extensions and uh, the no detriment policies. That did help. Um, but then me mentally, I kind of, for the first like, month or two, I was like, this is great, you know, just training hard. You know, working my ass off but then it was kind of like there is nothing to do and I think yeah. for someone who is always busy you know I'm either doing uni work or I'm at work or I'm training or I'm seeing my friends or whatever to then just kind of have like okay, I've got my two to four hours a day training and then I just play Warzone <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time on, on my PlayStation um, but yeah mentally it kind of just felt like you, you, I reached a point where I was like okay I'm ready for it to be done now and then as things started to ease up, it was all right. But I know a lot of other athletes did really struggle with that, especially, you know, guys from team sports, like, you know, your rugby teams, your football teams, you know, where they're a bit more tight-knit, I feel. Mm. And they used to being around people all the time, day in, day out training. Because a lot of my training is on my own. You know, a lot of my gym work and my sprint work do on my own anyway. Um, but yeah, I genuinely feel like health um, kind, of, kind of improved over lockdown. It was a time for me to really nail training um, and be in one place for a long time. Because with my um, with uni going from Bath to Leicester, you know, when you move tenancies and all that kind of stuff, and then with obviously I travel a lot, so to be in one place for like a big six month block was really good. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel like I benefited from it, whereas a lot of other guys involved in bobsleigh didn't have access to equipment or you know, weights or whatever, whereas we had a full a full set of weights, a bar, platform, a GHD machine. We had literally everything. Um, and, yeah, so well, I yeah. think I came out well. Well, good, yeah. And I was going to say, did um, did the GB bobsleigh setup offer you equipment? I know some sports, they were handing out, like, just, I don't know, squat racks and spin bikes for fun, trying to get equipment out to people. Was that something you offered at the time? So there was a small, um, there was there's like a bobsleigh shed at the uni. So have you seen the push track at uni? Yeah, yeah no, it's pretty impressive. No, yeah. So yeah, there's like a shed there which has a gym in uh, and it's storage and stuff. So it had equipment in, but it was almost like a, a first come first deal basis. Um, mm. People kind of went in and ransacked it as quick as possible um, and took it back to wherever they were. Um, but yeah, it didn't really affect me. Um, but I know a lot of guys really struggled. You know, they maybe had a bar on 60 kilos. You know, when you're used to putting 200 plus kilos on your back for squat and then all you've got is 60 kilos for six months, you know, 
you feel unprepared. Um, but luckily, yeah, we had access to a good a good home gym with Axel. Well, that's good. And so obviously you've got your first race coming up quite soon. Um, do you feel the playing fields less fair than usual, perhaps? Do you think some nations have had obviously less lockdown restrictions, more training? Do you feel underprepared, perhaps? Um, um, this, is the, this is the first race of the new year. So we had a race for Christmas, which um, was a little bit sketchy. Uh, the pilot, he um, pulled his calf about 15 minutes prior to the first run. Um, so that hinders at the start and just threw him off mentally quite a bit. Uh, but, you know, we pick ourselves up and we go again in about a week's time um, here. But with, in terms of other nations, you know, um, the Germans will always be good because they have access to everything all the time. Yeah. You know, a nation where they have four bobsleigh tracks in their own country, you know, you're always fighting an uphill battle. Um, and they, again, they had with England it was only probably like month four of lockdown kind of like into summer where they said okay elite athletes could now use facilities in terms of mm. the uni gym um, and up until then it was almost just like sent to yourself um, whereas the other nations they kind of had that that elite athlete status of being like okay you guys can still train here here and here under these measures they had that from like the second month in um, which it's something that Britain could have done a lot better with, for sure. Yeah, so obviously you, um, so obviously you got on fine because you had your equipment. But yeah, it does seem like there was a lot of athletes, um, particularly maybe those living in. And there's you know plenty of sports in this country aren't very well funded, so plenty mm. of athletes live. You know, if you live in a tower block, um, sure, you're going to struggle. Even if you could, you're going to struggle to get access to like a squat rack in a tower block or something like that. So. Um, straight away you're at a massive disadvantage and that's going to be internally as well as externally so say yeah. athletics when it comes to British championships you'll probably find maybe those people who live in rural areas have access to more equipment are going to benefit mm. than those who live in in the city and haven't got access to that stuff but uh, and what yeah, you see be... now is um, you see a lot of athletes now that this lockdown got announced a lot of them have gone to Dubai a lot of sprinters mm. are in Dubai right now um and they're kind of staying there till whatever blows over. Um, Cause Dubai is open for athletics tracks and gyms and, you know, there's still bars and clubs there, you know, they can still live a normal life, which, you know, in hindsight, a lot of athletes, if they've got the money will do. And well, yeah, done. if you've got, if you've got the finances, then it seems like a, like a logical option. Yeah. Go for a long sure. trip. But it only seems to be the, the, you know, your top boys, the elite sprinters, Mm. Um, like the funded guys that have kind of just picked up and gone, um, which, you know, if I was in that position, I probably would have done the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't blame them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a little, uh, ice breaking game, uh, cool. following the success of my new game show last week called does what it says on the tin, which, um, if you yeah. haven't heard it, Adam, you'll, uh, you would have really enjoyed, <laughs> uh, yeah. but this week, uh, I've come up with a few, tried to do some bobs, uh, bobsled-based games. Um, I had the idea of doing Feel the Rhythm, Feel the Rhyme, which should have been a cool runnings-based music quiz. Yeah. That didn't make the cut. Uh, what I've gone with in the end <laughs> is a game called Bobsled In or Bobsled Out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when, when basically all I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a list of sports, and I want to tell I want you to tell me if they have been in the Olympics, which we bobsled in, 
or they've never been okay. in the Olympics, which you bobsled out. Now, for, okay, any, okay. for any nerds who are listening or like people are going to email me to complain, I'm including all demonstration sports as well as medal sports from any Olympics from um, the first modern Olympics so all the way through the okay. 19th um, and 20th centuries um, and up until 2016. So not including any sports for Tokyo. Okay. 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 You, you seem you seem excited. I think you're ready for this. I'm just I'm just thinking in my head. I'm thinking, what obscure sports can I think of that are probably going to come up? <laughs> <laughs> um, and this, is, of course, was inspired by uh, your aim to compete at the 2022 Winter Olympics. So there will be some Winter Olympic okay. sports thrown in, but it'll be from both the Winter okay. and Summer Games. On a side note, actually, I found this really interesting. Up until um, the Winter Olympics was founded figure skating and ice hockey were both summer Olympic sports. Oh, really? Mm. Oh. I thought that was really interesting. That's a little bonus fact for you right there. That was, um, that is. That was only transferred over when the Winter Olympics was founded. So, which does pose some really interesting questions. Like how would you have an ice rink in Athens in August? (laughs) But I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Okay. So remember bobsled in or bobsled out first go baseball. Bobsled out. Now that was bobsled in. No. Oh. Up until 2004, I think that was in. Uh, okay. cr- cricket. Bobsled out. Now that was bobsled in. Uh, oh, golf. Out. <laughs> bobsled in. That was bobsled in. Lacrosse. Bobsled out. Now that was bobsled in. Uh, tug of war. Oh. Surely bobsled out. That was bobsled in. That was part of the Sled athletics in. from 1900 until 1920. Ah, of course it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, skeleton Bob. Bobsled in. Yeah, nice easy one there. Uh, what about yeah. ski ballet? Bobsled out. That's bobsled in. I don't know nah. what that means. Uh, um, what on earth is that? Ski ballet. <laughs> Never heard of it. Uh, what about ice fishing? Bobsled out. It is bobsled out. Uh, ten pin bowling. I'm gonna get bobsled in. That was bobsled in at the Seoul Olympics. What about yeah, corf ball? Like... Corf ball. I'm going bobsled out. Now it's bobsled in. Uh, <laughs> what about American football? Bobsled out. Bobsled in. God, I'm, I'm useless at this. <laughs> Just say the opposite to whatever you're thinking. Uh, Australian <laughs> rules football. Bobsled out. That was bobsled in. Oh, no. Very oh, one-sided, no. apparently, that sport, unsurprisingly. Uh, yeah. Darts. Bobsled out. That was bobsled out, but they're planning to bring it in for 2024, I think they said, something like that. Um, what about sled dog racing? Sled dog racing. Bobsled in. Uh, yeah, it was bobsled in. And then final couple. Let's go. What about speed skiing? Speed skiing. That's just the fast. Who's the fastest skier? Um, bobsled in. Yeah, there's bobsled in. I feel like speed skiing is more like. Um, gravity 
Like whoever just yeah. gets down the mountain the quickest. I don't, I don't really it's heavy. For that. <laughs> and then how about squash? Bobsled out. That was bobsled out. Yeah. So, so I've actually just I've actually ticked them all. I wasn't really paying attention, so I don't know what, how many you got right. Uh, oh, I don't think I got many. <laughs> Maybe like four. <laughs> oh, congratulations! That was Thanks. bobsled in or bobsled out. Oh, Great new game that'll be available for Christmas next year. Everyone who wants to play it. There's some rogue sports in there. Some, <laughs> really some rogue, rogue sports. sports. It's quite interesting actually. Like quite a lot of countries are allowed to throw like a rogue sport in when they host it. Um, okay. So that's where like American football came in. Um, yeah. And then like cricket, apparently it was. I, I did a lot of research, just as you can tell. Mm. I think cricket was in the first Olympics in uh, the second Olympics in Paris. But um, okay. only two teams entered. I mean, it was England and France. And they only played oh. like one day and they got bored or something. So it's pretty relevant. <laughs> but um, yeah. technically, it's an Olympic sport. But it was an Olympic sport. Uh, it's, here's an interesting one I didn't say. Motor water sports. That was it. As in like jet skiing? No, uh, no I think it was like speedboat racing, I'm guessing. Oh, okay. But it was in 1908. So I'm not quite sure what they had access to in 1908. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there you go. And then, of course, controversially, karate. Uh, I have down as bobsled out, but obviously this year that will likely change, which will be exciting. Hopefully, mm. if all goes ahead. <laughs> it goes ahead. Okay, right. So that was a uh, that was the little icebreaker. Um, I now want to get into sort of the meat of this conversation. Uh, so, as a boy born and raised in the UK, uh, you were born in the UK, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would really ruin that introduction. Uh, born and raised <laughs> in the UK, how did you first get involved in bobsleigh? So it was quite a weird one for me. Um, the usual is, you know, you do athletics or rugby or weightlifting and then someone knows someone who's in the team or is a coach and they put you in contact, you do an open trial. Um, whereas for me, I was, I was 15 years old and I was sat at home in my bed and my dad just come into my room and was like, do you fancy going to a bobsleigh trial? I was like, what? He was like, I've just heard it on the radio, they're doing trials at Loughborough University. So I live like five minutes from the uni. Um, do you want to go and do it? They're looking for people, you know, born in 98 or 99, who are, you know, thick set and are pretty fast. And at the time I was like, probably 74 kilos at 15, about 5'10", 5'11". And, but by no means like a power athlete, you know, you wouldn't have looked at me and gone, right, that guy, you know, can squat 200 kilos or whatever. And I was just like, oh no, like, I'm not bothered, like, no. And he was like, go on, like, just call a mate up and go down, you've got nothing to lose. I was like, all right, go on then. Um, so I called my mate Joe up. No, I called, I called two friends up first and they were like, no. And then my third friend that I called up, Joe, was like, yeah, go on, let's go. So we kind of like rock up to uh, Loughborough Uni and there was very little detail. It was just like come at this time. So we kind of turned up, my dad picked Joe up and we went. And I was just in like some baggy basketball shorts, like a, a t-shirt and just some like Adidas Sambas, you know, just some beat up trainers. And Joe's in the same. And we walked in and there's everyone in Lycra, spikes, like compression socks, like the lot. And we were like, ah, oh, let's go home. Like, yeah, let's just go. <laughs> and my dad was like, no, you're here now. You might as well do it. So... Yeah, we just kind of did this open trial, which was sprinting, jumping, and like pushing a what we call a roll bob. So it's like bobsleigh on wheels, and you can put weight on it. And um, 
I remember the 30 meter cutoff was for like the 15 and 16 year olds was four seconds, uh, 4.1, so 4.1 seconds. And I ran 4.09. <laughs> I made it by hundred. Um, and there's loads of, there's loads of trials held all over the country. There was like Bath, uh, London, Loughborough, I think maybe some further up north, like Scotland way. Um, and they tried loads of athletes and then it kind of got narrowed down. So Joe didn't make the cuts and I got invited to go to another trial, uh, down in Bath. And then that kind of reduced the numbers. So it went from, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred athletes, uh, 15, 16 year old boys down to five of us. Um, and then, so that was the summer of 2014. Um, so I didn't really know what Bob State was at the time. You know, I'd kind of seen it at Sochi and seen the guys. I'd been like, whoa, they're pretty fast, like big guys, whatever. And then within three months of that first trial, I found myself in Norway on ice, piloting a Bob State uh, with the youth GV team and finishing. I got a silver medal on the Youth World Cup, my first ever race. And I was like, ah, how the hell have I done this? Like, where am I? I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of from then, it was just like, okay, I'm a bobsayer now, you know? No one really kind of like grows up wanting to be a bobsayer. You kind of fall into it or, you know, someone knows someone who puts you in contact with them because you might be great at it, you know? Um, yeah, it just kind of spiraled. And then since then, I've been competing for GB ever since. And, you know, it's opened so many doors for me. Um, yeah, not your usual story, I'd say. <laughs> well, no, de- definitely not, actually. Um, obviously, there's famous examples of uh, Lizzie Arnold. Um, yeah. We did, like, Skeleton. It says she came from Heptathlon. And yeah. there was, uh, oh, God, her name's just skipped my mind. Who won the silver in 2010? Um, uh, Amy Williams. Amy Williams, yeah. So they both came, yeah. I think, from Heptathlon backgrounds. Yeah. I think one of them was, like, the third best heptathlete behind... Um, Jessica Ennis and yeah. uh, someone else who I mean, might have been catching John Thompson, someone else who's very prominent in their sport and they just chose to go into bobsleigh. Um, mm. So I know myself when I was at Bath, they did the whole rowing recruitment and they did all the tests for yeah. that. You have to be like minimum of like six foot three, which obviously I'm, uh, I'm nowhere near, but that's how they recruit so many athletes nowadays is going through these talent programs. Yeah. It's quite interesting to see that you had no logical step. Like you said, if you were a sprinter, it made perfect sense for them to recruit a bunch of sprinters from a local sprinting club to get involved. But, yeah. but uh, no, that's great to hear. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was a whirlwind, to say the least. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you said you were successful in karate before. Um, actually, very successful. I mean, you could argue you could have had an international yeah. career in that as well. Uh, yeah. But you seemed very quick, like you said, to, to trans- transition into bobsled. Well, was that an easy decision to make? Or were you torn or at the time we just thinking i could do both and then just happens that you focus on this one in the end um so at the time of that bobsay trial like i said it was just like a, a why not you know i've got nothing to lose kind of attitude um and whereas karate had been my life you know from age four starting it because i wanted to be a power ranger to then you know competing at seven and then british champion by 11 and just having a real success and really enjoying it, you know, loving it, you know, from a young age, training every day and really kind of skyrocketing through karate to then just being like, oh, wow, there's bobsleigh now. Um, yeah. And I remember going to my uh, karate coach and kind of like the week after the trial and being like, oh, yeah, by the way, I might be doing bobsleigh now. And he was like, what's bobsleigh? And I was like, yeah, I'm not too sure either. Um, 
but he's like, well, let's, 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 you know, let's see what you have to do to train. And then he kind of, you know, maybe do some more running stuff and a bit more weight stuff. Cause I hadn't really bothered with the gym at 15. You know, I was always a good fighter and, uh, you know, six years ago, karate wasn't as performance based as it is now. Now it's going to the Olympics. Mm. It was more just like your raw skill. Whereas now, you know, everyone's at the same skill level at the top and then it becomes who's the fastest, who's the strongest, who's the most powerful, um, who's the most flexible, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I think my first year in Bob's Day, I achieved quite a lot. And I was just like, well, maybe this is my future. And, you know, there's a prospect of the Olympic Games. And, you know, at that time, karate wasn't Olympic and it was completely unfunded. You know, my mum was paying for training sessions and me competing all over the world and kit and all that kind of stuff. And I had a few sponsors here and there and like council, community grants and stuff. But um, when Bob's Day came and it was like, okay, I'm now fully funded, you know, I was traveling the world doing this, this cool new sport and, you know, it wasn't costing anyone anything to support me, which yeah. from like an independent view was amazing. You know, I was getting to go to Canada, Norway, Austria, Germany, Switzerland, all these cool places and I wasn't paying for any of it, which was like, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from, you know, my mum's always, you know, done well and we've always had, you know, nice holidays and stuff, but we've never been like, that family that can just go here's all the money in the world go and be the best you know yeah yeah. they've always really supported me but for them to me just independently like right i'm gonna work my ass off and do amazing at this sport and it's you know i want to show you how I, how well i can do on my own that was kind of more my mindset um i still kind of you know i had karate and i'd still train and coach and you know i i remember going having done two years of bobsleigh not really training that much maybe doing a session a month um I went to the English champs and I took a silver. So I was just like, well, this is good. Like, I've still got it. Um, and, but yeah, it was weird. It was just kind of like, it was almost overnight. It kind of just went, all oh, right, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Which, well, where on earth do they hold the, um, the English championships of bobsledding? So you have a British champs uh, pretty much every year. And normally it's where I am now um, in Innsbruck because it's one of the cheapest oh, okay. places to go to. It's the, kind of distance wise it's the easiest um for driving sleds out because obviously you, you can't fly a sled at a cheap cost you know mm -hmm. to ship a sled over to the to the states for races it's about 10 grand each way um so it's not cheap whereas you know austria you can drive it out in less than 15 hours um so yeah that's a it's a big factor really yeah and i think you you sort of touched on it before but um when you came to making that decision, there's something really cool about winter sports and I don't sure. know how they've, how they've sure. done it, but going back 20 years, it wasn't cool to wear Lycra. Um, <laughs> but then it was changed, but somehow now there's something pretty cool about like a GB skin tight suit. Um, oh yeah, definitely. You look at like the skiers in their big like puffer jackets and mirrored goggles and bobble hats. I don't know how they do it, but there's something really cool about winter sports. Um, and it's, you know, it's, different it's a talking point you know is, yeah if you're you know going to uni in your first year you meet a million rugby players a million football players a few badminton hockey whatever but the second someone goes oh bobsleigh they're like oh you know if i had a pound for every time someone asked me have i seen cool runnings i'll be a very <laughs> very rich man like <laughs> it's almost as if they're like have you seen it as in like oh my god you need to watch this film it's like obviously i've seen it <laughs> it's like the bible to me um but yeah, it's different. It stands out. And I kind of, I kind of like that. You know, it's quirky. 
how um be honest with me how quickly into a you're in a nightclub you're chatting to a nice a nice girl at the bar <laughs> how uh how how quickly does the bob said line get slipped in there is it is it an icebreaker well, literally i'd say especially in bath i get a lot of oh you must play rugby you know i'm 100 105 kilos like six foot one it's most of the time it's oh you know do you play rugby for bath and i'm like no like i don't and a lot of the time when I'm out, I like to kind of have a bit of fun. I don't always say I'm something I'm not. I'll be like, oh, I'm a bricklayer or um, I don't know. I'm a, yeah, that, sound, that sounds fun. I'm a triathlete. And they're like, no, surely not. I'm like, yeah. And then eventually when I turn around and go, no, I do Bob's Day, they're like, no, you have me on. Um, but yeah, it does come out a lot. My mates always kind of see it. They're like, let's say I'm off talking to a girl or a group of girls, whatever. They kind of, they know exactly when I say it. Because we're like, oh my God, no way. Or like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's useful. <laughs> no, good, good. Use, use what you've got. Um, yeah. So uh, for my experience, humans and ice don't generally um, mix very well. It's a rather dangerous combination. Uh, just, <laughs> ask, just ask my nan on a, on a frosty morning. Uh, so <laughs> I think uh, when you combine the two, it's inevitable you're going to have injuries. So just give me a description of some of those injuries you've accumulated in your, let's say your bobstay career first, and then we can discuss your karate career after. Um, so bobstay wise, through my youth days, you know, 15, 16, 17, I was pretty, pretty good. I got away with a lot because my body was still developing. Um, I didn't really have anything impact me that much. But then at 18, 19, I started getting a bit of tendonitis in my Achilles. Um, which is common with bobstayers because you're putting, you know, probably like 800% of your force of like, you know, your body weight, like a triple jumper will put, you know, eight times their body weight through their leg. We're doing the exact same but on mm. each stride because, you know, you've got a 200 kilo sled and you're propelling it forward. You know, it's a lot of stress for your Achilles. Um, so a bit of that flare up when I was at 18, 19. Um, but then I tore my rotator cuff in my left, on the left side, um, just bench pressing the gym, just like the classic kind of gym bro thing where it comes down, it's like Velcro, um, like my, my shoulder went black. So that took me the best part of four months to recover. Uh, I kind of worked around it and you know, I could still squat and stuff. I just had to use different bars and load it differently. I just couldn't do anything up my body. Um, tendonitis and then yeah, end of 2019, so November of 2019, I um, I had a bad crash in Lake Placid, New York. Um, so we uh, we crashed in corner four, and Placid is it's notorious for being a rough track. Mm. It kind of comes at you really quick, and it's really violent twists and turns. And even on a good run, it feels like you're getting beaten up. Um, so yeah, I kicked out of the sled um, in corner four, and I slid like on my back. And my leg kind of jammed in the ice and hit the sidewall. And I kind of split my fibula in my right leg. Um, right. So I had a broken leg, which I had surgery to put a metal plate in, um, in America, which was like the best thing ever. You know, the healthcare there, because it's private, was really good. Um, nice. And a really good experience. And flew home and recovered kind of over Christmas into 2020. And was back on my feet, you know, in, in February, March. Um, and then in lockdown, I um, tore my hamstring, my right hamstring, uh, just sprinting at Loughborough Uni. And as I tore it, I kind of, you know, if you ever torn a hamstring, it's like you're being sniped. You know, it's like a gunshot. 
you kind of yeah. pull up. And as I pulled up, I fell onto my left leg and rolled my ankle and I ripped my ATFL. Oh, um, so a big ligament in there. So from then on, so that was in June, I was pretty much immobile for a month because it was both legs. It was a hamstring in one and the ankle on the other. Um, I remember lying there and, you know, Axel come over and he was like, you okay? I was like, I've had enough. <laughs> it's to the point where I've had a lot of injuries in a short period of time. But it always yeah. kind of comes, you know, I get injured, I recover, I do really well, like I have a good push testing or, you know, performance evaluation. And I get on season and I get injured again. So I'm almost kind of like treading water until that happens. Whereas touch wood, this year, it's been okay um, so far in season. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's not a sport where, you know, you can prevent a lot. You know, if you have a bad crash, you've got the weight of the sled plus five Gs, plus your pilot. So you've got three, 400 kilos on top of you with five G force and it's just straight in your head. You know, you've got a helmet on, but you know, you get a lot of neck strain. Um, you can get ice burns on your shoulders if you don't have like your protective vest on. Um, I've had a couple of niggles in that, but yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've seen at 15, we were, we were in San Moritz in Switzerland at a track and we watched a guy get paralyzed. Um, Jesus doing bobsleigh he crashed and then you know as of gravity if you crash the sled will naturally come back and will sit in the lowest part of the track um and in San Moritz it's a man-made track so it's kind of like silent you can't really hear the sled come in yeah. and this guy crashed got thrown out the sled and was just stood in the track and everyone shouting get out get out and the sled just came back and just hit him Jesus and yeah you know there's like blood in the track and all this kind of stuff and yeah he was just he was, he's in a wheelchair now. Um, he won't walk again. So it's a sport where, you know, it's dangerous. People die. There's been deaths. I think the last death was 2009 in Koenigsee, um, in Germany. But yeah, you've got to be robust. Um, and yeah, well, got to be pretty. There, sorry, wasn't there that, was it the Olympics in 20, it was 18, where some of the bobsleds came off the track? Uh, so that was Vancouver. That was 2010. I oh, was it. Yeah. Um, that was a yeah. luge. So it was a Georgian slider. He, yeah, it was like a training run, and he he turned too early, kind of got the pressure at the end of the corner, and just flipped, and he hit a metal pole and died. Um, so I have I've been to that track, and it's the fastest in the world in Whistler. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a it's a rough track, um, and you can see where he yeah where he died. It's um it's pretty pretty morbid to be honest knowing that a guy literally his life has ended where you're going down you know well yeah and then to go to the top and then do the same thing yourself is obviously a exactly must take a lot of mental resolve um sure. interesting as well though because you i said i started this by saying humans and ice don't mix very well but um i think sort of four of those five injuries you mentioned weren't on the track they were exactly either doing athletics or in the gym um, so actually, when it comes to the hurtling down a icy um, chute in a sled, has actually led to very minimal injuries, and it's the um, yeah. it's the actual training. So I'm quite interested, actually. In I mean, Ross Edgley is someone I follow quite a lot, and he talks about yeah. having this sort of general physical preparedness and developing like an art of resilience and these sort of concepts. Yeah. And I suppose for you, you must be been a lot of time preparing yourself to 
be able to cope with all those pressures. So you mentioned building up neck strength, um, probably building up a lot of like back strength as well in terms of like the pushing the sled. And um, so how much time do you spend off the track focusing on injury prevention? Um, So yeah, ultimately, you know, everything you train for. So me as a brakeman, you know, I have been a pilot, but I'm now a brakeman. So I, I actually, sorry, that's a good point. Just uh, while we're at this point, why don't you just explain what that means? So my understanding is from, pretty much from watching the film called Runnings is of the pilots at the front um, yep. and they steer the sled. Uh, the yep. brake man traditionally is one of your stronger runners. Um, yeah. Puts obviously as much power as they can. Their main, their main role is getting as much speed as they can up at the start and then mm-hmm. basically moving the head, et cetera, in line with the pilot. But so in turn, you've got aerodynamic responsibilities, but your main responsibility really is pushing that sled and then stopping it towards the end. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I know simplification. Yeah. So, you know, you know, 10 years ago, you could get away with your brakeman not being as athletic as your crew. Mm. Um, but now it's a big emphasis on the push, you know, generically, like a tenth at the top is worth three tenths at the bottom, you know, with gravity and physics and velocity. The more velocity you put at the top, the faster you're going to go. Yeah. Um, so if you start fast, then you are going to finish fast providing you turn and you don't hit the walls and don't skid and the drive's nice and you've got good equipment. Um, so yeah, you're, you know, you want on a four man sled in particular, you have your pilot and then you have two guys on the side, say your side handle pushes. So the guy who will load at number two, so your pilot's one and you load in sequence, number two will get in. So your number two is your pilot's maybe running 30 meters. Your number two is running 35. Your number three is running 40. And then your brakeman on the back, who is typically your fastest guy, so your sprinters, um, is number four, he's running 45, 50 metres, like where the where the spurs, where the bobstay kind of comes out, the natural spurs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you need, you, you can't just go and pick, you know, three really fast guys and put them on the back of a pilot. You need a mix of powerful guys and strong guys because you're number two, you want him to just be all out power, off, 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 you know, putting them power strides down. Mm. And then your number three is more power based and your four is speed. So, you know, it also goes down to team cohesion. Your, your four fastest pushers aren't always the fastest start overall because it's all about hitting the sled at the same time. Yeah. You know, hitting the sled at the same time, loading correctly because you can have a really fast start, but you can mess up the load, someone falls off or you, you move around as you get in and you skid, hit a wall, you've lost all your velocity. You know, there's a lot of, it's, they like to call it choreography on ice. Hmm. Um, well, just imagine getting four, you know, six foot plus hundred kilo guys in a bath. Thank you. Yeah. And then, you know, then do that whilst traveling at 40 miles an hour on ice. Yeah, no, I can yeah, understand the, um, the complexity of it. Anyway, so I interrupted you actually, you, you were talking about, um, preparing yourself to prevent injuries. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah typically as a brakeman i i train for yeah nine months of the year <clears throat> you know eight nine months of the year through the summer and the off season to push a sled for about five seconds on ice um <laughs> so it is training for power and speed you know a lot of back squats power cleans deadlifts bench press uh mixed with a lot of bounding a lot of jumping and then a lot of kind of 30 60 meter sprints Mm-hmm. So the way I see it is you want to 
be as strong as a weightlifter, as fast as a sprinter, and then meet halfway. So you have the speed and the power, and it makes that raw kind of pushing ability. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of injury prevention. Kind of as a as a youth athlete, I neglected it. I was like, I just want to get big and strong and fast. You know, I just want to be, you know, big and strong and look good with my top off kind of thing. And I neglected a lot of the the little things that you have to do. You know, the little the extras. You know, your ten minutes at the end of a core circuit or of just a glute med circuit of a rehab a prehab you know resistance bands that kind of stuff it's not all just get in the gym throw as much weight around as you can and get out yeah there's so much more to just being an all-round better athlete and having you know just a future you know my body is pretty messed up now um i have a lot of swelling in my ankles and my knees um which will be with me for life because i haven't properly prepared my body when I was younger um so it's, it's the advice I give to a lot of young athletes you know I do get a lot of it's more so in karate as they come to me and they're like you know I want to be fast and strong because they see me in the gym and this kind of stuff and I'm like okay well go and do the basics you know go and just jump around you know get you get your body used to doing normal stuff before you go and do your specifics yeah. yeah um go and get strong within your feet you know within your knees within your you know, your hips and get, get supple and stretch and all that kind of stuff because ultimately you can have all the power in the world. You could be the best squat in the world, but if your hip mobility is, you know, three inches shorter than it should be, your stride length's hindered and you're not going to get your full power. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a bigger emphasis on the sports science aspect now of getting the, the right S&C and the physio and all of them little 1% gains that will make you a better athlete. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've spoke a lot in previous episodes about um, having young, young people, not as athletes, but as young people developing whole body awareness, um, mm-hmm. calisthenic awareness. We spoke about in previous episodes sure. as well. And the idea of so many people you see go to the gym, particularly boys at like 14, 15, straight on the bench press or straight on the yeah. bicep curls, you know, working very specific areas. Um, but if you haven't got, like I haven't got it as, as much as I wish I did do, but that ability just to do, you know, like simple, like simple pull-ups, simple yeah. push-ups, just exercises that work your whole body, Olympic lifting, mm-hmm. if you're going to weightlifting and just build it up. Cause then you're going to reduce that strain on your knees. So many people have got imbalances where you've got big quads, small hamstrings or big biceps, small triceps, etc which um sure. which are just lining you up for injuries particularly in a sport like yours where it's high impact and it's repetitive um mm. so what's really interesting about your sport as well is obviously you spend very little time actually doing the sport yeah. um yeah. you spend most of your year even if you're like doing the sport in england so you're up at like the bath track and you're doing your push starts etc even then you're not doing it on the ice or you're not doing the whole run. You're not, you're not doing the G-forces in your neck and all these sort of things because you're only doing that push start. So it's a very strange... It's a bit like taking, say, a footballer and saying you're only going to kick the ball for, like, you know, a week of the year. The other 51 yeah. weeks, I want you to be... Learn how to be a great footballer without the ball. And so in yeah. your case, it's like... <laughs> I'm t- you, I want you to learn to be a great physical bobsledder um, without actually doing any of the bobsledding, which is... Um, oh, nice, yeah. Which is a strange concept. Which is where comes the, you know, the huge disadvantage that we're at as opposed to the winter nations. Mm. You know, we can't just, you know, drive an hour and be at a bobsleigh track. 
you know, if we want to go anywhere, we've got to put thousands of pounds together and a structure and, you know, travel a day to go somewhere, you know, whereas your Germans, your Austrians, your Swiss, your French, your Latvians, where they have so much more money, they have tracks in their home nations, multiple tracks in Germany. They're just a huge advantage. Your Americans, your Canadians, America has two tracks, Canada had two tracks, one's closed down, but you know, it, it shows that the smaller nations, and it's nice to see the story of the Jamaicans, where the smaller nations who don't have the access are still competing. And you see it, you know, you see Puerto Rican teams, Spanish teams, you know, all these kind of random nations, Croatians, where you just, they shouldn't be doing bobsleigh, you know. And for GB as a small nation, when we got that, well, what was a fifth place, but then got bumped to, a bronze after the Russians were doping in, in 2014. Yeah, I saw that, actually. I saw that. Um, that was quite recent, wasn't it? They got handed the, yeah. handed the bronze, yeah. So, yeah, the, our coach out now, Bruce uh, Bruce Tasker, was part of that four-man team um, that got the bronze. Uh, so, yeah, like, for a small nation like us to be competing on that world stage and being competitive, it just puts more and more impact on being the best starters. Because mm. if we can, the stuff that we can control is the push start and it's the equipment. So if we can finance the best equipment, sleds, runners, you know, sled mechanics, all that kind of stuff. And if we can know that, you know, we can mix in the top five for the starts, we've got a chance. It's just then getting the money and the funding, which is a struggle with being a a winter sport that some people don't know is a thing. The amount of people that are like, oh, is that tobogganing? I'm like, (laughs) yeah, you know, I just, I just go back with hill and slide down when it snows, you know? a lot of people don't understand the the wider picture to bobsleigh and a lot of the minority sports um where access is everything yeah no i mean i if, if it wasn't the fact i went to bath and i saw it firsthand i probably wouldn't believe you can train bobsled in england on your little um, little track etc that's uh that's sure. yeah you just wouldn't that's not common knowledge um I'm quite interested though, when it comes to young, young people in Switzerland or Canada, do you, can you, do you get involved in bobsleigh as a kid? Do you just, do you go to local bobsleigh club or is is it the same for you guys here? Do you get handpicked when you're older? So one of the weirdest things for me was, I've seen it a few times, but even before Christmas, we were in Germany in Koenigsee training. Um, And there was kids probably age seven or eight doing luge. You know, wow. so they're they're doing luge and skeleton from seven or eight in their PE lessons. You know, just like we'd go on a football pitch and kick a ball around or do athletics or rugby or whatever. If you're near a track, your PE is going to do bobsleigh or skeleton or luge. So can you, can you imagine in this country the waivers you'd have to sign to send? Oh, I know. I kids know. at school down a track like that. <laughs> yeah, go throw them hundred miles an hour down a track like yeah. Um, oh, but wow. it just means that. You know, the current guy at the top, Francesco Friedrich, now, he's won every single World Cup bar one for the last two years. You know, he's won like 30 World Cups in a row. He is one of the most decorated pilots ever. Just completely dominant force. He's been doing luge since he was, you know, seven years old. So he's understanding G-force and ice and the way you turn and just being around that environment. Whereas most, most people don't start bobsleigh till their 20s. You know, piloting sleds in the twenties, um, which is different. It's just a huge disadvantage. Well, yeah, I suppose you can never really balance those um, those books. 
Um, so I suppose uh, so that was obviously a bobsleigh, but obviously you also were successful in karate. Um, yep. Just give me a very brief summary about kind of what you achieved in karate and then sort of the injuries you might have had on the, along the way. So karate, like I said, age four, started, wanted to be a Power Ranger. Um, that was like the thing. And my mum really wanted me to do it because it would teach me some discipline. And kind of, I was so hyper as a kid, you know, just bounce off the walls, can I do this, can I do this, can I do this? And like, for me, sport was my outlet to really rein me in and make me, I don't know, just burn my energy off, really. Um, so yeah, with karate, I, you know, I was competing from seven, won British titles, English titles, and Bucks champion two years in a row. There's Wadakai, European champion 2014. Um, yeah, I kind of, I won a lot, but it was just like cool there's no olympics there's no end goal you know i i want the tattoo on my chest you know i want to be able to say look i'm an olympian um because it's one thing that money can't buy for me like become an olympian you know i've seen people especially at bath uni that have all the money in the world you know their dads or mums are ceos of these massive companies and they have everything just given to on a plate and yeah it's all good and good and well but the one thing that money can't buy is being an olympian you know, having them five rings and OLY next to your name, it's just, that's what appeals to me. You know, I want to be that guy, you know. Of course, I want to go to Ibiza with my shirt off and have the, the rings on and people ask me, what, where did you go? What did you do? You know, that's, it's the clout that comes with it. And I think a lot of athletes want that end goal. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, you know, where I, why I think I focus more on Obviously, which is annoying when then karate got announced to the Olympics for 2020, which is now 21, um, which was frustrating because, you know, that could have been my shot at that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not out of the question. So maybe if karate stays in the games after this, this next Olympics, then, you know, maybe I do look to become a dual Olympian. You know, I maybe try and get that summer and winter and, you know, be that standout person. Yeah, the dual dual Olympian. Um, there are there are a few great examples of that actually. There's like I think like skiers who are also runners, like some of the Norwegians I think have done really well. Yeah. Um, doing so like skiing and then like the biathlon, so like great cardiovascular endurance on um both fronts. Um, well, we had uh, Montel Douglas from GB. I think she went to Beijing in 2008 for a hundred meter relay. Yeah. And then she went to Pyeongchang in 2018. Um, there is a few, you know, majority are sprinters to bobsleigh. Um, Joel yeah. Fearon's trying to do it as well. Uh, James Dasulu, um, Britain's oh, yeah, second yeah, yeah. fastest 100 meter sprinter. Um, he was out with us um, before Christmas and he's out. He's coming out. He's on his way to Austria now. Uh, you know, he's been to two Olympic games for sprinting. He raced his Usain Bolt on the regular and now he's pushing bobsleigh. Um, yeah. Which is great. And we're. we're as of recent, we're seeing a massive influx. She said, um, you follow, uh, what's his name, Ross Edgley. Uh, do you follow much CrossFit people? Uh, a few, yeah. So, uh, Tia Toomey. Yeah, yeah. She's been like the Australian, best for like, the last four years. Uh, she's just joined the Aussie bobsleigh team. She's oh, out wow. in Korea now, training. Um, and for someone with like that, with 1.5 million followers on Instagram, just the fact that she is now doing bobsleigh is asking questions. We've got James Newbury, again, 250k followers, joined the Aussie team from CrossFit. Um, we've had Ryan Bailey, US sprinter, Tyson Gay, trialed for the US team. You get some big names coming into the sport, um, which 
at the moment is really boosting the profile for bobsleigh, especially off the back of these kind of CrossFitters coming across. Um, because, you know, CrossFit now is so huge and it's a massive industry where people see them as these like elite sports people. And then all of a sudden you've got the best woman that's done it. Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I've got you. <laughs> it froze. Um, where they then become bobsayers. And it's, yeah, it's great publicity. And the more like top level athletes we can get into the sport, the better it is for everyone. Um, for sponsors and media and all them things that come with it. Um, but, but for you, yeah. though, it'd be fantastic to do in two very contrasting sports. Like a lot of people oh, have sure. gone from athletics to bobsleigh, and um, that's obviously quite a logical path. But to go from, said so to do karate and bobsleigh, like a really athletic event, and then the more skill-based karate, etc., would be really interesting. Um, you probably put in a very, a very rare breed of people. Um, yeah, it but- would. It would. Yeah, it would be weird as well. You know, I'd have to fluctuate my weight a lot. Mm. Um, with Bobstam, you know, 100, 105 kilos most of the year. Whereas karate, I'd want to be sat at about 83, 84. Yeah, which um, would obviously open you up to injuries because you would be cutting um, sure. obviously quite a lot of muscle. Uh, you'd lose, you have to lose a lot of said, that sort of neck strength and stuff like that. And then to put it back on again, could you put it on safely? Yeah um would that flu- weight fluctuation affect your joint health and put too much strain for your your knees and ankles and hips and stuff so yeah it would be interesting it would be, it'd be perhaps, a task. yeah <laughs> perhaps more maybe a i don't know like a long-term transition so maybe you know you yeah. do your winter olympics and then you walk away you take quite a gradual time cutting and then mm-hmm. transition into karate long term I, I think it'd be almost impossible to go from you know two a cycle years, of doing two years. two years two years yeah but maybe yeah. maybe you could be that medical phenomenon and prove everyone wrong yeah. <laughs> oh i think my ankles have uh, had enough already <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so but part, part of my question before was um your injuries in karate have you got any of note in there um i had my uh, my radius the big bunny arm i had that snapped at 13 uh it was in a competition i was fighting a, a kid who was i think he was 16 so i was fighting up a weight section uh, up an age section yeah um and yeah he just this big kick i blocked it with two arms and it snapped my left one um and i remember going to hospital and they were like this is like being hit by a bus you know the force that you just took on your arm and i was like yeah i know (laughs) the bone's sticking out (laughs) um yeah other than that you know kind of fingers and toes and you know bruised lips noses cheeks the, the kind of usual fighting injuries you get a lot um callous feet that was always the worst you know training barefoot on <clears throat> you know sports halls or mats you just tear your feet apart mm. um but yeah other than a, a, a broken arm i never really suffered oh i snapped the 10 of my finger as well like that finger now doesn't the middle finger on my left hand doesn't sit straight um i had mallet finger in that so yeah you know everyone sees athletes as these healthy you know healthy eating functioning people whereas we are just kind of walking injuries most of the time <laughs> yeah yeah well i um i did do karate as a kid uh, i never got to black belt level i think i got uh like purple belt or something like that. it was like free free below black or something like that. um but yeah. i imagine for my limited experience of karate it's a, it's a lot more impact in terms of like punches kicks stuff like that 
probably a lot less um a lot less risk of like hyper mobility injuries so say if you mm-hmm. compared it to judo judo where you got the throws and the holds and stuff i feel like you got more likely to have dislocations and for sure injuries whereas when it comes to karate it's a lot more um said yeah potentially like breakages from impacts but probably hopefully you're yeah. strong enough to absorb them so a lot more painful like sort of bruises and um the odd said the odd fracture but generally a lot less long-term like ligament tears and yeah. stuff which you would get from being thrown around and being in holds and stuff like that which i suppose karate avoids more or less yeah you know we do have the throwing element you know you can score takedowns you know if you can throw them and then follow up a punch or kick then you know that's the highest scoring technique you can have um but yeah i did a bit of judo as a kid as well my dad was into judo when he was younger so he was like oh you know go and do this it'll only ever help you karate and it did you know i was kind of known on the circuit for being the guy that was good at throws um but yeah like ultimately i've also wanted to go into mma and you know potentially go down the ufc route um because as well as the weight thing that would allow me to be heavy because they have higher weight classes yeah um you know i could fight heavyweight as i am now you know i've absolutely mashed up <laughs> by like six foot six six foot seven kind of guys but yeah i've always wanted to go down that route of getting in the cage um because it just okay. i feel like i am at the moment i'd, I'd still say like fighting my passion mm. and bob says my sport if that makes sense yeah no i get that yeah. you know bob says my path to the olympics and for that kind of ticket off the list whereas fighting you know i've always enjoyed that fighting you know as a kid i was always in trouble at school for fighting i got suspended from school it was always kind of like i just loved it you know the adrenaline kind of your classic kind of lad behavior as a young lad um and karate channeled that into discipline and knowing my own strengths um but yeah like it's, it's definitely not off the cards to you know go and do some American wrestling, some BJJ and some judo and get my groundwork and then, you know, go and fight in Cage Warriors or Bellator and then who knows, maybe a contract with the UFC. Um, that'd be the dream. Mm. So maybe a dual Olympian and, and UFC fighter. UFC <laughs> belt holder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to try and defend them be... all at the same time. You have to cut weight, gain weight, <laughs> try and hold all the same. That'd be a, that'd be a hell of a task. Um, that so... would be fun. So I've also got my list here that you're also a nightclub bouncer for um, I am <laughs> Second Bridge, which is a nightclub in Bath, as well as uh, Zero Zero and uh, yeah. Revolutions, various places around Bath. Um, various places which I myself have been thrown out of on several occasions. Uh, not my yeah. own doing, uh, but I have certainly had um, some run-ins with the bouncers. Um, yeah. So I was quite interested to know, did you ever wear your black belt when you were, uh, when you were on your shift? <laughs> On the doors, no. I think I'd get absolutely grilled for that. Yeah, you get, you know, grilled enough as it is being a bouncer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's good fun. You know, I enjoy it. Um, I'd like to say I'm not your stereotypical old school bouncer where it's like you out, you know, just fighting and looking for trouble. And you know the ones, you know, the old school boys. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to say that I'm more talk first, fight later. You know, if I can talk someone out of the club or... They're coming in, they're too drunk, and you know, as long as you're nice to people, it's reciprocated. Um, which is weird, you know, being an athlete, a fighter at heart, and a student in Bath, having that kind of like 
triple prong of them being a bouncer. I get a lot of people who see me in the gym or on campus and then they see me on the doors like, oh, you, you go to uni and this and that. And they, you know, they think they can come in for free or they can, you know, do drugs or fight and not get thrown out. It's like, no, <laughs> like, just because you know me, you don't get any special treatment. <laughs> I, do time, I spend most of my time throwing my friends out, you know, but it is a good laugh. And in Bath as well, you know, it's not like you're doing doors in London where you're at risk of, you know, yeah, like exactly. everywhere the risk, nice, uh, it's, it's a lot nice, uh, calmer. Yeah. Yeah. No, and exactly. it's just enjoyable. You know, you just chat to people. It's, that's social aspect. Yeah, that's good. Just standing there in the queue, start telling everyone, do you know I do bobsleigh? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a big neon <laughs> sign above my head that says, I am bobsleigh. Yeah, I also have a black belt, so no trouble. You know, a little bit of banter here and there in the crowd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, good, good. I was ashamed you weren't there when I was there, because... Uh, it wasn't so much friendliness and I was there, it was more grab and drag. But um Grab and drag, yeah. That's that what was, I heard uh, before. That wasn't my fault. Once again, this is very much the bouncer's fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what everyone says, isn't it? You know. And we, oh, I'm not doing anything, I'm not doing anything, I promise. Yeah, no, I didn't do anything. Um I got thrown out once from uh, zero zero for being too drunk. Um mm. but I was actually completely sober because I wasn't drinking that week because I was on antibiotics, but that's yeah. that's another story. We won't bore you of that. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so to finish, I always give the guests like a platform to do any other business. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything from the world of sport you fancy having a chat about? Um, I'd say like the obvious one for me, and I probably say eighty percent of athletes now is is funding. More so with COVID right now. Um, you know, with a lot of businesses struggling um, to keep the doors open. You know, a lot of businesses having to go down the e-commerce way or online or whatever. There's less and less businesses that are willing to invest in athletes, um, which is sad because a lot of there's a lot of talent out there, a lot of young talent, which never gets tapped into because they just don't have the access. You know, I know numerous guys that, you know, were good sprinters, footballers, rugby players, but just couldn't afford it. You know, they couldn't mm-hmm. afford to sometimes pay the five pound session fee um and yeah in a sport like bobsleigh where an average season for just a two-man crew so let's say three athletes around europe for three four months it's going to run you 100 grand um so so do you do you entirely rely on private funding now or do you get any funding from do you get nothing from the lottery or so we used to be um through my youth career and then when I made my World Cup debut in 2018 um, so I was like the youngest guy ever to do so then at 19 for GB like that was all funded we had lottery UK sport we had you know physios coaches ice coaches massage therapists we had access to all these different training stuff uh, and everything was paid for and it was kind of like the only thing you had to worry about was pushing that sled mm. Whereas now it's more, there's so much admin and, you know, I have a lot of respect for the pilots now. They've a lot harder. Um, it's the pilot's job, you know, us as brakemen, you know, we're always looking for sponsors and, you know, if I can bring in 10 grand from a company, it goes such a long way with the team. Uh, even it's to the point where if I can bring in, you know, four helmets, you know, if they're 200 pound helmet, you know, it saves a load of money, mm. you know, things like that where, now the sport is solely reliant on external uh, sponsors. Um, we have 
Uh, you might have heard of Pulse Roll, you know, the massage guns. Yeah, yeah. So they help us out with, with um, kind of like the recovery side of stuff. Um, our main sponsor right now is Lottery World. Um, and we have other stuff um, <clears throat> like we've got a collab with Oddballs, you know, the Testicular Cancer Foundation. Yeah, yeah. So we actually had um, our own like bobsleigh boxes and women's pants released as well. Um, I'll try and get a pair out to you because they are pretty, you know, they're pretty quirky. Oh, and, class, uh, yeah. If you ever had Oddball stuff, they are really comfy. Nice. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's, it's not just Bobsleigh now. It's you're effectively working as a business. You've got to get enough money in, otherwise Bobsleigh doesn't happen. Um, well, yeah, I think one of the issues I imagine you face is um, I'm assuming the Olympics still have like a no sponsorship rule. Yeah. When it comes to, like, so when it. you get to the games, it's funded. You know? Okay, but like in terms of like, if you're approaching a company and you say, "Oh, we're a bobsleigh team," um, they're probably thinking, "Oh, it's great. We can have like our logo uh, on the bobsleigh for the Olympics, and it'll be like in all the TV programs, it'll be on the BBC, etc." But obviously, that's not the reality because um, obviously you can't advertise on the, uh, the Olympic sled, which means yeah. then you're relying purely on those logos being seen in. Uh, so World Cups, which are on like, you know, more yeah. obscure TV channels, um, mm. smaller crowds, but obviously on a global scale. So I suppose maybe, did you find maybe you got more chance against sponsorship from foreign companies that maybe more people well, yeah. in the sport? So, um, the Germans, for example, so like the top Germans, you know, they're on a whole the best nation ever to bobsleigh, you know, most successful, um, just for the front of their sled. So a tiny, I don't know, maybe uh, six by three inches. If you want your company there, it's a hundred grand. You know, that'll run you a hundred grand for a season. You know, they have all the money in the world to spend. Whereas, you know, we take a grand, you know, any money goes a long way with us um, and the smaller nations in general. Um, But yeah, for, for companies now, you know, if they were say to be let's say kind of like a, if there's three tiers, tier three being like, here's 50 grand, tier two let's being... Not, let's not get into tiers. There's too, there are too many yeah, tiers yeah. in this country. That's a too many tiers over right tiers. So. But yeah, like, a, you know, if they said, right, here's 10 grand, they've got access to sleds, helmets, race suits, you know, Instagram. A lot of us have good Instagram followings as well. Um, kind of down that media route, there's, there's a lot of avenues to explore um just on the van as well you know you we're a, a driving advertisement we have all our sponsors on our van so we're driving through the uk abroad everywhere you know there is definitely um scope for the right businesses some businesses just don't lend themselves to you know they're not going to gain anything from it um, no. but let's say uh we have a heated clothing company called balkan smart sportswear who make mm-hmm. heated g-lays that's perfect for us you know and then other nations see us wearing them. All right, where'd you get them? Oh, here. You know, all of a sudden they've sold another eight gilets to the Italian team. You know, um, it just kind of depends. But yeah, funding is, is, is everything. It's that, that complex where you sit is, you know, you need money to get medals. But to get, if you don't get medals, you don't get money. So at yeah. what point does someone go, right, I'm going to invest in you to get you the medals and then you get the money and then you can repeat the process. Yeah, no, um, I definitely understand that. Um, it's just, yeah, just about again, cool. it's just about getting the money from where it is to, to you guys. And yeah, 
so many there's plenty of companies out there probably who would invest but you need mm-hmm. to find them on the right day and get your information on their desk to, to get that exactly across. To the right um, and i don't know whether i mean i know there are certain companies out there that do specialize in sourcing um mm-hmm. sort of companies but obviously they take their own cut they take their own fee so yeah it's just there's someone somewhere who's got a checkbook who's ready to invest and if you can just get yeah. to them then you can get the money but it's certainly not a lot an easy an easy zone i remember like at uni trying to get sponsorship for hockey teams and stuff and you know someone out there will do it but it's just finding that yeah. person and it's it's not a an easy an easy process no and and you know that's part and parcel of it now um it's all well and good being a great athlete, but if you've not got the support network around you, um, the managers to say, here's this and this, you know, go and talk to him. And I think that's what Bath is quite good at. You know, Bath is very, it's a campus-based uni where, you know, if you know someone, you know a lot of people, you know, everyone mm. kind of knows everyone. And the contacts that made at Bath, you know, have led on to, you know, help through sport. You know, a friend's dad's company helped me out through my youth years and that kind of stuff. And, you know, as I kind of transferred to the senior team at 19, he helped me out. And, you know, that kind of, as well, Bath is a wealthy university. Um, they support me with a scholarship as well. Um, and they give me access to the gym and the track and everything. So just being part of that Bath and then obviously in the future, I'll be a Bath alumni like yourself, um, where, you know, you do have contacts which you can pull up on. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't recall, uh, I don't recall my contacts being CEOs of companies, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> maybe I, maybe I made the wrong friends, hang out in the wrong, wrong friends, the yeah. wrong nightclub, find the wrong accommodation first. Well, you never know. One day, um, you can go to the, you make it to the UFC, you become a two belt world champion, you do a Conor McGregor, you launch your own whiskey, we'll call it uh, Hamerson's. And then you can uh, <laughs> you can have that. That's free, by the way. You can have that. Yeah, um, all right. <laughs> and then you uh, you take that logo and you whack it on the future uh, GB bobsleigh and sure. repeat that process. Um, but anyway, it's been great that to speak be nice. to you. Thanks, Adam. Really, thanks for coming on. It's been a no, thank you. A pleasure to chat. chat. And um, and yeah, uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Olympics in what eighteen months. That's the plan. But yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. It was an absolute pleasure to spend an evening with Adam and beginning to understand what makes this young man tick. I'm sure Adam will have a highly successful career, whether that be in bobsled, karate or UFC. And I think his passion for sport and success means a multi-sport Olympian is a realistic ambition and therefore I'm looking forward to following the next decade of his life with close attention. On a personal note, it's always beneficial to be reminded of the importance of dedicating that time to caring for your body away from the field of play. That concept is a massive source of inspiration behind this podcast series, but it's always great to reflect on whether I'm still stretching enough or rolling enough or doing my physio rehab, eating correctly, etc. Little update on myself since people have been asking, it's safe to say COVID has massively hampered my progress this year and being a low priority issue in a very stretched NHS leads to understandable delays. But I've had a consultation with my surgeon this month and the reviewing of my latest CT scans suggests 
he's hoping to do the surgery this April. Uh, he's hoping this procedure can be done using only two incisions and a minor keyhole procedure, which would mean there'd be a fairly minimal impact on my sport for 2021. Uh, but there's more details of that to follow soon. This week, I would love to hear uh, from some of my listeners and get some feedback and suggestions for future guests. So please drop me a message on my Instagram, that's at Mansfield Curtis, or the Instagram for the podcast, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z. And of course, you can check out Adam, which is at Adam Haynes GB on Instagram to see how the rest of his season plans out. And all that leaves me to say is please stay home, please stay informed, and most importantly, please stay safe.